Welcome to the 116th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will talk about this past week's college basketball action and preview the NFC and AFC championship games. So let's jump right in with our weekly look back at college basketball. And we start, as always, with the upsets, Patrick. Yep, starting with Maryland beating number 17, Illinois, 81-65. That, however, I will say a little bit of an asterisk. It was without Kofi Coburn. Uh, and also, I don't think he, I think he was actually expected to play. And then all of a sudden, the day of was still stuck in, I believe, concussion protocol. So, you know, when when you expect the guy to play and you can't design a game plan around not having him and he's your best player... It's really hard to play once you really don't, you designed a game plan and now the game plan is pretty much just, it's nothing because he's the player who you're probably going to run all your offense through because of how good he is. And then when he's not there, there was really no such thing as a replacement for him. And even if you try to run some of the same plays and not all of them, but a few of them that you think your backups are, are capable of, they still sometimes don't go as intended. Uh, so overall, I just think that Illinois didn't really have the greatest shot to win this game, but it's still Maryland, and Maryland has not been great this year, So, uh, and dealing with a lot of turmoil and uh, turnover in terms of coaching staff and even players, too. A lot of players from the transfer portal. It doesn't help when you have two coaches in the same year in college. Uh, it's also a rare thing for that to happen, uh, but because uh, college teams don't often fire like NBA teams do in the middle of the season if there's nothing going on there. And also, Maryland wasn't even that bad when they fired uh, Mark Turgeon, but I don't know what really went on there, but... um. Maryland not having a great season, so this loss looked pretty bad for Illinois. Uh, but when the tournament committee looks at it, they'll see that they, they they didn't have their best player, and that's pretty much one of the biggest reasons they lost. I don't think they would have lost this game if they had Kofi. Uh, but moving on from that, number 14, Michigan State beat number 8, Wisconsin, 86-74 to on the road. We already talked about this on the last episode of the podcast in my weekend predictions because I predicted this game. Uh, but, uh, I mean... I'm surprised Wisconsin lost this game, but I'm also not surprised Wisconsin lost this game, if that makes sense, because, uh, well, I'll explain why it does make sense in my head. I'm surprised when any Big Ten team loses at home, no matter who they are, unless they're Nebraska. Pretty much everybody else in the conference, I expect to win every single game, and actually, we'll see later on this week, it's it's not even that hard to, uh, it's not even that hard to uh, almost win when you're Nebraska at home, uh, but we'll, we'll get to that in a second, but I mean, like Northwestern going on the road and upsetting Michigan State. If that had happened the other way around, where Northwestern was at home and they'd beat Michigan State, it it wouldn't feel like all too big of an upset. But it's when teams go on the road in general and win a game, it's crazy. Like Michigan beating Indiana, which happened on Sunday that we're not actually going to talk about. But Michigan's win over Indiana was probably the most surprising win in the Big Ten season other than Northwestern going and beating Michigan State on the road. I think it's pretty easy to say that. Uh, because you're talking about venues that are just really hard to win out on the road. And as soon as the team is is a somewhat good team, it's hard to win no matter who you are. And all the teams in the Big Ten are good except for Nebraska. So it, anywhere is a, hard, is a hard place to win on the road. But especially when you're talking about a team that's top 10 in the country, you expect them to go undefeated at home, frankly. I think the only team you'd think they would lose to is probably Purdue at home. Uh, and they already beat Purdue on the road this year. And by the way, before Michigan State beat, or before Michigan State lost to Northwestern, and before Michigan beat Indiana, that was by far the most surprising upset of the season. Uh, but moving on from, in the Big Ten, at least. But moving on from that, TCU beat number fifteen Iowa State fifty-nine to forty-four on the road. This has upset all written over it because not only was it the unranked team, and well, not only was it a lower-ranked team beating a higher-ranked team, but the lower-ranked team was unranked, 
and they beat them by 15, and it was on the road. Uh, all signs point to Iowa State winning this game. You're number 15, playing an unranked team at home. That should be a really easy win if you actually are going to go anywhere this year. The fact that they got demolished at home and only scored 44 points probably just tells you that Iowa State maybe isn't as good as we thought they were. Um, and really, I mean, I think it comes down to the fact that they started 12-0, and and at the beginning of the season, compared to preseason expectations, two of their wins, uh, i.e. Memphis and Virginia Tech, the, 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 those two teams that they beat, on neutral courts, looked really, really good at the time. But as we've gotten later into the year, we've realized Virginia Tech is not going to make the tournament most likely, and nor is Memphis. So we went from those from thinking those are two top 25 wins neutral court to two non-tournament teams. So, I mean, I think their their early season resume, and by the way, they were 12-0 and and still ranked 8th, I think, at the time that they got there, even while Baylor was 11-0 and ranked number 1, and they were one of the maybe four or five unbeatens left. I think kind of like USC, just their record, no matter what their schedule was, they were just ranked high out of necessity. I don't know why Iowa State didn't start falling down more when they started losing games in the Big 12, but eventually they did after this loss. But moving on from that, number 24, Illinois, beat number 10, Michigan State, 56-55. to The reason why this was an upset, I would, by the way, I just talked about how home teams always win. Not when your two best players are out. Not when your starting point guard and your starting center are out in the Big Ten because the Big Ten is a league dominated entirely on point guard play and your center. And frankly... It's a center's league. Trace Jackson Davis, Kofi Coburn, Hunter Dickinson. The list goes on. EJ Liddell. The list goes on and on. I mean, Purdue has two of them that could be the best at their position and maybe any other conference other than the SEC with uh, Kentucky's Oscar Shibway. But other than that, the Big Ten has pretty much probably the second best through like the sixth or seventh best centers in the country all in one conference. So when you don't have your point guard and you also don't have the key to your team, your best player, your center, your national player of the year candidate, the guy who was... Top five and all those things last year and all and all Big Ten first team guy. You're, you're not supposed to win really against many teams and especially against a top 10 team, that being Michigan State. Even though they were at home, Illinois was not favored in this game. If they had one of those two, I bet they would have been. But knowing that both Kofi and Corbello were out, it's just very surprising that they were able to come so shorthanded and win this game. But moving on from that, VCU beat number 25 Davidson 70-68. to Davidson was previously on a 15-game winning streak. If they had won this game, they would have tied Auburn at 16 games for the longest active win streak in D1, uh, but they were not able to do that. Uh, And VCU actually barely lost in their home floor against Davidson a few weeks ago, or maybe actually it was even last week. And then Davidson uh, comes here and loses at home to VCU, which is also a big upset because Davidson hadn't lost in 15 games, and here they are losing at home. Uh, But moving on from that, well... Uh, speaking of Wisconsin and, uh, and and teams that are only ranked out of necessity like Iowa State, number 15, USC, falls at home to Stanford, 64-61. to Stanford completes their season sweep of the 15th-ranked Trojans, uh, and USC loses as 11-point favorites. Do I need to say anything else? I don't know if I do. But I'm going to anyway because I think it's funny. I told you so. That's all I have to say. I don't need to say any more than that, though. <laughs> I'm laughing because I was going to try to interrupt you before you went to that score and say, and in the I told you so game, Patrick. So there we go. Yeah, you uh, you had this team pegged and never lost faith in your 
perception of them, even when they climbed to number five in the country? Yeah, I mean, th- but they were still the most... I said they were the worst top five team of all time, and that's definitely true. Uh, and by the way, um, although, honestly, there are some teams this year that have that if they had made it all the way to the top five would be putting up close seconds to that, uh, but just fell short of that. Uh, but by the way, moving on from that whole the whole joke of the USC thing, I did say that they hadn't played anybody, and I named off a bunch of teams that I thought were better than them. If you look at if you go back and look at when they were number five and talk about all the teams that were unranked and bought and maybe just outside of the top twenty, but in the top twenty five that I said were better, they're all ranked ahead of them now, yeah, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> with good reason. And by the way, some of them that aren't ranked ahead of them, i.e., Providence, will be next week or Marquette. Same thing. And there are even teams that are unranked that are that are still better than USC, in my opinion. And I don't think that's ever going to be changed. And also, I, I look at it, wh- why are we treating them any different as a team like Wyoming, who's also playing... I mean, look, the Pac-12 is really no different from the West Coast Conference, where BYU and Gonzaga and St. Mary's and San Francisco are all supposed to make the tournament. The Pac-12 is supposed to have less teams in the tournament than that conference is. So when you think about it that way... Why are they getting any praise? I mean, they're get, they should not be getting any more praise than BYU or San Francisco or St. Mary's are with their fifteen and four and fourteen and four and sixteen and two or sixteen and three records. They have the same record. They're in a four bid league too. They have a top dog like Gonzaga. Uh, the Pac-12 has a top dog like Arizona. Although we'll we'll get to what happened with them later. I don't I don't see any difference between those teams. They both played about the same schedule. So that that was my whole point this whole year. That I don't really care what the perception is and what the ranking is. Just look at the resumes, and they look pretty eerily similar to teams who are getting no respect, who are, you know, going to make the tournament for sure, but barely make it in the last four buys kind of a category. I'm not saying USC will fall that low, but they have really similar resume to teams like that. Okay, well, I know I could get you to say more than I told you so, so let's move on to close games of last week. Uh, I'll start with three games in the ACC on Saturday, but go through them quickly, uh, but they were very important for many reasons. Florida State beat Miami 61-60 on the road. That is a big, big upset for Florida State's tournament chances. Uh, a win against Duke, the only ranked team in the ACC, and a win on the road against the, well, who was at the time number one in the conference uh, in the same week with that win coming on the road. That pretty much cements them as a pretty, not, not exactly high-quality team, uh, but a team that should be bordering on the top 25 and, and closer to moving off the bubble in the tournament picture than to moving than to staying on it, if that makes sense. Uh, but moving on from that one, Notre Dame beat Louisville 82 to 70. This game is not really important in the grand scheme of things. Maybe Notre Dame's knocking on the door of the bubble, but not even knocking on the door of the tournament, just the bubble in general. But it was important for one reason. This was the straw that broke the camel's back when it comes to Chris Mack at Louisville. I think this loss, a 12-point loss at home to a team that really isn't too special. I mean, Notre Dame's 12 and 6. They're respectable. 12 and 6 in the ACC team, in the ACC conference, is not a bad team, but it's also not a great team, and it's not a team that you should be losing to at home if you have a program with the high standards that Louisville does. Uh, And I think maybe if Chris Mack had won this game, they pulled together a few other wins, maybe keep it close against Duke, and maybe they end on the bubble again. If they end on the bubble again, maybe they buy him out in the offseason, but I think this loss just really cemented it that, look, if he can't win these types of games, he's never going to get to the level of winning national championships, which is what Louisville is aiming to do. Uh, so I really thought that that was kind of the signal that Louisville thought, you know what, it's it's time to cut it loose. Let's just end this. But moving on from that, two more positive note in the ACC. Wake Forest beat North Carolina 98-76. to I, re- I only mentioned this game because, speaking of USC actually, Wake Forest is 16-4. and 
in a conference that's normally one of the top conferences in basketball, they haven't been ranked a single week this season. Uh, and I think, or actually they were ranked 25th once, I think, and as soon as they lost, they never made it back in. But I think it's important to mention that I don't think I've ever even mentioned them on the podcast, maybe except for that one game that they did lose when they were ranked. Uh, so know that Wake Forest is a good team. They're not actually on the bubble. They're off the bubble pretty safely. Um, 16 and four is a really good record. It's, they have, honestly, they have one of those resumes that I'm talking about that's similar to USC. They have a very, very similar resume to USC. Um, and overall a pretty good team. And uh, I mean, North Carolina is not bad in, 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 for themselves. So, uh, it's still a good way quality when at home, but moving on from that to the real, real, real big games, number two, Auburn beat number 12, Kentucky 80 to 71. This was the battle for number one in the SEC. Um, most important thing about this game, though, Ty Ty Washington and Xavier Wheeler were injured in the middle of the game. Uh, I believe after Ty Ty Washington went out, I think Kentucky was up by 9 or 10 or 11, something in that range, um, in the first half. And Kentucky, and Auburn outscored them by 20 after he left the game, I believe, was the end stat. And Xavier Wheeler did come back in that game and wasn't out. And, and by the way, Ty Ty Washington, I think, also missed a game after this, so... He, he had a more severe injury, I guess. Um, it's severe, not Savier. Um, But Savier Wheeler did, he got hit with a hard screen, but I think he actually might have made it back before the end of the game. And if he didn't, he did play in their next game of the week. So he's okay, but long-term, Kentucky's going to be fine. But uh, short-term, that was a big blow because they could have really stolen a very important win in the SEC. I mean, I don't think any teams are going to Auburn and beating them. And I think Kentucky had the best chance out of any team. And if they could have stolen that win, they would put something on their resume that no one else could. It will help a lot in terms of the tournament if they could have. And it would have also helped in terms of SEC tournament seeding and maybe possibly winning another SEC regular season title. But now it's looking like the SEC is definitely running through Auburn. But uh, moving on from that, number seven, Kansas had a comeback win to beat Kansas State 78-75. Uh, Ochai Agbaji is really, I mean, I didn't talk about Oscar Shibwe for Kentucky, but him and Ochai Agbaji are really the player of the year candidates right now. And I really don't think you can argue anybody else other than those two. And, and may, I mean, other than maybe Kofi Coburn, uh, but uh, I mean, Oscar Shibway is, I mean, he makes Kofi's 12 rebounds a game look like they're nothing. I mean, I think Oscar Shibway is averaging 14 or 15 rebounds a game. I think he's averaging 15 and 16 are his stats right now. He's had uh, multiple 20, 20 rebound games. He had a 2020 game uh, earlier this week that we'll get to. So he's amazing. Uh, and speaking of those two, they're playing each other tomorrow uh, in the Big 12 SEC Challenge, which I'm sure we'll talk about next week on the podcast. And actually, we'll talk about it on Monday because it's going to be my predictions. But moving on from that, Marquette beat number 20 Xavier, 75 to 64. Marquette keeps reeling off upsets. Uh, they had a tough point in their schedule coming up. They were, I think, 10 and 7 or 10 and 6 at the time their, their little hard stint started. And it was looking bad for them because they already had six losses and they had six ranked teams in a row coming up. They're 3-0 in that stretch already. Actually, now they're 4-0 in that stretch. And, and one of those is a win at Villanova. Marquette is really a serious contender, not exactly national title contender, but watch out for them in the tournament because if you can go beat Villanova on the road, I don't know who you can't beat on a neutral court. Uh, but moving on from that, number five, Kansas beat number 13, Texas Tech, 94-91 in double overtime. Uh, watch it, I guess is the best thing I can say. I mean, it, it, it truly is probably one of the game of the year candidates. And when 
And when it's all when it's all said and done, if you went back and did a college basketball award show and gave out a game of the year award, this has already cemented itself as a nominee for sure. Because I also think that these two teams will have massive influence on the overall uh, goings on of the season. Someone ought to look up the last time Texas Tech lost, scoring ninety one points in a game. It's probably been a really long time uh, because <laughs> definitely very, before the Chris Beard era. Well, yeah, I mean they're a very defensive minded team and always yeah. have been, and yeah. I think honestly before Chris Beard was there, not not necessarily the most successful team in the first place. So they probably didn't get to ninety one very much. Uh, but moving on from that, number nine Duke beat Clemson seventy one to sixty nine. This game was literally the exact same replica game of the Miami game for Duke. The only difference was they didn't commit, they didn't let up an offensive rebound and a dumb foul at the end of the game that combined for a four-point possession for Miami that eventually let Miami pull off that upset on the road. Instead, they defended well at the end. They made their shots. They got Paolo Bancaro the ball like they didn't at Florida State and cost them the game, but they learned their lesson now. And I think that's also something really important that you're talking about a top team that's not like Baylor, who's barely lost anything, or Purdue, who's barely lost at all, or Auburn, who's barely lost. They don't know who they're going to in a close game, and they don't know what works and what's failed because... They don't really end up in close games, and by the time the tournament comes around, you kind of need that experience. Um, this te- Duke has a great combination because they have all the talent, and they've now played in so many close games that they know who they need to go to in these situations, and they know what plays work and what plays don't. Uh, and the play they ran to Pelham and Baron Caro at the end of the game against Clemson was, I mean, honestly, they could get that against any team they wanted to. It was just a very simple post-up, but... The reality is when you're talking about a number one pick possibly posting up, it doesn't matter if it's an easy, simple play. You just cannot guard it because no one else in the country has Paolo Bancaro. Uh, But moving on from that, speaking of teams that are figuring out how to play in close games, number one Auburn, who has only lost one game this year, beat Missouri 55-54. Missouri pulled off an upset against Alabama this year, and other than that, they've been pretty bad. Uh, But this game, they made it really close. I believe Jabari Smith shot one for 14 in this game. Uh, But KD Johnson was there to save the day. He's really the energy guy for Auburn. He's probably, he's one of those guys that, I mean, he reminds me a lot of Russell Westbrook in that, not in play style, but in terms of the energy he brings and in terms of the, uh, I mean, he's an immediate candidate to get a technical foul at any moment. And he's also one of those people who the other fan base is going to hate immediately because all he does is celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. And his fan base is going to love him because of the fact that he brings so much energy. He's always pumping up the crowd. I mean, he was pumping up the crowd on the road. But one thing I have to say, Missouri fans, do not chant overrated when you are 8-11 and 11 and you just lost. There is no reason to chant overrated. I don't, it's, it's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. If you beat a team by 10, 15, 20, that was maybe right. Like, if Stanford fans were chanting overrated at USC when they were ranked 5th, and Stanford was under un, unranked and beat them at home. That's one thing because they also beat them by a decent margin. You can't chant under un, overrated when you lost the game. You don't have any right to chant anything. Uh, so Missouri fans, win a game or be quiet. I think is my lesson, and I think I would say that to any fan base. But it's especially annoying when the fact is that was the worst game Auburn's played all year, and they still won. Uh, look at the other 18 wins they have, and they played better in all of them. And that's the reason why they're number one, because they haven't played a game worse than a game where they escaped on the road in the SEC, which is, I mean, same thing as the Big Ten, really hard to win on the road. But moving on from that, uh, number 12, Kentucky beat Mississippi State 
82 to 74 in overtime. This was the game that I was referencing that Oscar Chiboy had 20 and 20. Uh, Kentucky had some foul trouble in this game. Uh, so did Mississippi State. It was a long game. It was a close game. It was a tough game. Uh, I mean, there was there were a lot of scoring droughts for both teams, and overall, probably a, a game that is really important for both of these teams. And honestly, for Kentucky, doesn't do much for their resume because it's a team that they should be beating at home, and they only beat them in overtime. And for Mississippi State. They're a bubble team. All you want is to just not be tanked by bad losses. This is the exact opposite of a bad loss. This is the loss that the tournament committee looks at and says, we might not as well we might as well not even include that on the resume because they basically tied one of the better teams in the country. Who cares? Who, who, who is going to go on, on the road and beat Kentucky? I wouldn't pick some of the top 10 teams to go on the road and beat Kentucky. So you can't expect that out of Mississippi State. So this loss is not disappointing for them at all. Uh, but moving on from that, Number 18, Tennessee beat Florida 78-71. Florida was up for a long time in this game. Tennessee started out really hot and went super, super, super cold. And Florida was winning for almost the entire game. I want to say Tennessee's first lead after their first half lead was maybe five or six minutes left. Uh, but overall, Tennessee pulled it out, and that's really all that matters. Number 17, Providence beat number 21, Xavier 65-62 on a buzzer beater uh, for a buzzer beating three for Providence. Uh, and overall, I've said it a bunch of times, rather have Providence than USC, rather have Providence than a lot of teams. And also, speaking of the resume, USC was ranked fifth when they were, what, 10-0 and or something, or 12-0? and Providence is 17-2, and in, I would argue, the second best conference in the country, only behind the Big Ten, and they're ranked 17. How are they ranked 17th? No they have the same, they have the same record as Purdue. I mean, they have a better record than Purdue. They have the same record now as Arizona. They have a better record than UCLA. They have the same record as Gonzaga. I mean, and they're in better conferences than every single team I just mentioned, other than Baylor. Uh, so, uh, look, they should be ranked a lot higher, as you said, maybe no name brand. Or maybe they were waiting for a signature win like this on the road against the top 25 team. Uh, but Providence has some wins. One of their only losses is also, I think, a two-point loss to Wisconsin, or they actually beat Wisconsin. I forget which one happened. Uh, but So Providence should be ranked higher is the point here. Uh, but moving on from that. You actually predicted Providence, would, when they were unranked, would be ranked higher than USC. It's going to happen this week. Oh, for sure. I mean, they do have a tough game coming up, though, against Marquette on the weekend, but I still think the trade-off of a win against Xavier and a lose, loss against Marquette would still put them in the rankings. Uh, but moving on from that. Number 20, or higher up, number 23, Iowa State beat Oklahoma State 84-81 to in overtime. Oklahoma State was favored in this game, as I said. Not going to have an impact on the tournament because they're not going to be in it, but this is this is where Iowa State stands. I think they're really just a middle-of-the-pack Big 12 team. I don't think they're in the echelon that Kansas and Texas Tech are. I mean, you look at the game Kansas and Texas Tech played in double overtime. I mean, Texas Tech went into one of the hardest places to win in the country and took them to double overtime. Then you have Iowa State almost losing to Oklahoma State in a season where they don't even have tournament eligibility. It's just, I just don't see this team being amazing. I, they're a good team, but I don't see the greatness in them. But moving on from that, number 19, LSU beat Texas A&M 70-64. to uh, And really no comments about that. Not, not much. LSU's a little bit injured, so there's no surprise that this game was close. Really pretty much a similar game to the Kentucky-Mississippi State game in that you have a bubble team in the SEC uh, on the road against a ranked team, and the ranked team is just slipping up enough for that game to stay close. But finally, talking about Wisconsin doing the rare thing, losing at home in the Big Ten, Wisconsin almost gave Nebraska their first conference win of the year. Wisconsin only won this game 73-65. to They had bigger leads. 
Um, it, it wasn't exactly the closest eight-point game. It wasn't like it was like three or four points the whole game and then got extended in the in the foul drama at the end of the game. This was more of a game where it got shaved down at the end. But this game was close enough that I think it's still fair enough to mention it. Uh, so, that, that but Wisconsin still almost gave Nebraska their only conference win of the year. All right, let's talk about a few other important matchups from uh, last week's college basketball action. Well, the game that was expected to be very close, uh, UCLA, number seven in the country, UCLA beat number three, Arizona, 75-59. to 59. I was going to put it in close games, and I was like, 16 is not very close. Uh, it does not deserve to be there. But uh, credit to UCLA pulling off the home win there. Uh, Arizona's Tubelis was injured, but uh, other than that, I don't I don't think you can really make many excuses for Arizona. They just didn't play a great game. I mean, this game started out with, I think, both teams scoring something like, I think it was 17 to 16, four minutes in. And Arizona scored like 40 points in the rest of the 36 minutes. So, I mean, take out the first four minutes. This game was pretty ugly for Arizona. Um, and frankly, it wasn't pretty for UCLA either, but it wasn't ugly. <laughs> it was at least decent. Um, and they're kind of a low, they're a team that likes to play low scoring games. I mean, look at their tournament run last year. Uh, but, you know, UCLA is a good team. Um, I still think Arizona's better. I, I said all the time that I said to people throughout the week, everybody was like, I thought you like Arizona more than UCLA. Yeah, I do. They're still on the road. They're playing a little bit injured. I don't pick teams that are injured uh, to win road games against teams that are only a little bit below them. I don't think UCLA is terrible. I just think they're a little bit worse than Arizona. And I think if Arizona played them uh, at home, Arizona would probably win that game. But uh, moving on. From that, number 22, Marquette beat Seton Hall 73-63. to 63. Although Seton Hall's Bryce Aiken scored, I think, 30 points in the first matchup between these two teams. And in this game, he wasn't playing. So that helped Marquette a little bit. But again, Marquette still running through that streak where they had six ranked teams in a row. And it looked like they'd probably lose at least two or three of them. Uh, probably, Actually, no, at least four, honestly. Uh, but instead, here they are 4-0 in that six-game stretch. And then, number 16, Ohio State beat Minnesota, 75-64. Minnesota has not won a conference game since their win uh, at Michigan. Michigan, if they had had stuff figured out earlier in the year, probably would have beaten this Minnesota team. I don't think they're really good enough. If, if that game happened again and was played again tomorrow, I don't think Michigan will leave that game even anywhere near close to that team because they would respect them enough. To keep that, to, to just blow them out. Um, and Minnesota has had a lot of, a lot of, a lot of COVID issues. Um, they actually won at home against Rutgers last Saturday, playing with the bare minimum players, seven players. And I believe the starters all played 35 plus minutes or something in that game. And I think only one player came in off the bench because they only had seven players on scholarship for the entire game. Uh, so Minnesota, still a scrappy team. They'll keep everything close. So, uh, it is pretty important to see that Ohio State was able to rebound from some recent losses and go on the road and beat at least a capable team. Uh, but finally, number six, Purdue, beat Iowa 83-73. to uh, If you think that this is an expected result, keep in mind that Iowa is one of those teams just like Wake Forest, who hasn't been ranked all season, but quietly among, bas among hardcore college basketball fans, they're known as a really good team. I mean, they are a good team. They're capable of beating a lot of teams. Uh, evidenced by the fact that Vegas only had them as a two-and-a-half-point underdog in this game. Yeah, it was at home, but, you know, this is the rare example of, like, the Big Ten road game where maybe you pick the road team. I think Iowa is just kind of below that threshold of Purdue's just good enough that they can really beat anybody in the conference, road or home. 
Uh, and I'm not surprised that they pulled out this win, but uh, I think Iowa's still going to be good long-term and keep your eye on them when it comes to the tournament. They're going to be a really dangerous six or seven seed probably when, it, when, when the tournament field is set in. All right, that wraps up our look back at college basketball for the past week. Let's now turn our attention to NF- the NFL where we have the conference championship games coming up on Sunday. Let's start off with the Cincinnati Bengals in, at the Kansas City Chiefs for the AFC Championship. Well, I think most people will know where I'm going with this uh, based on the fact that I picked this team to beat the other team on the road when they ended up losing, which probably just gave away who I'm picking, uh, that being the Chiefs. But look, the Bengals are really, really great. I knew that they were going to win on Sunday as soon as you said, yeah, to the Bengals, they had a great season, but this is probably where it ends. I knew as soon as you said that that they were going to win because... That has been the sentiment around them all season long. Yeah, they can maybe make the wild card, but they won't win the AFC North. Lamar Jackson's too good. The Steelers have that winning culture in place. Even if Big Ben isn't great, that defense is still good enough. TJ Watt's good enough. Then all of a sudden they win the division. Yeah, okay, they're a good team, but they're not good enough to win a playoff game. They haven't won one in 31 years. Okay, they beat the Raiders. Eh, okay, but they beat the Raiders, but the Raiders aren't that good. So, you know, they're not gonna beat the, they're not gonna beat the Titans because Derrick Henry's back. And yet here they are, and they won all of those games, and they've done all of those things that everybody said they couldn't do. Uh, and frankly, I, I said people were, were saying they couldn't win the North, but they could at least make the wild card. Most people didn't even think they could make the playoffs, even when they were like 6-2 and two or something like that. I don't think many people thought they were going to be good at all, uh, even when they were playing very, very well. And I will say, before I say that I'm picking the Chiefs, which obviously you know already, I really don't think there's a single team that is guaranteed to beat the Bengals. I think... There's no team that's a bad matchup for a team that can just get in a shootout and just keep scoring. There's nothing that can beat talent. You can't scheme against talent. Uh, you can. You can limit talent. You you can you can try to you know suppress it a little bit. You can mitigate the damage that it causes, but you can't stop talent from performing, and you can't stop it from taking over the game in some fashion. The the Bengals are going to make sure that this game stays close. I honestly, if I was a better, I would be staying away from the fact that this game is a seven and a half point line. I mean, I'd honestly bet the Bengals if they're if they're if they're still at seven and a half because I think there's no way this team loses to anybody by more than a touchdown. It just it just doesn't seem like it would be a way for them to end this year. They've always been able to stay close with everybody except for in the few games where they just go up into a decent defense and they just pretty much throw the game away immediately, like when they drove down the field on the Browns and just threw a pick, a 99-yard pick six on the first drive. That was really the only game I think they got crushed in this year. Um, there might be another one that I'm forgetting. But they've been able to do enough with whatever identity they want to use that week, whether it's running the ball a lot against the Raiders in the regular season or throwing it a lot like they did against the Chiefs in the, in the regular season. They always figure out a way to, to score points, um, and their defense has enough potential to get a few stops that – they're, they're not going to get blown out by anybody. I don't even think the Chiefs are capable of that. Um, and I think it'll be a shootout. I got the Chiefs in the close one. If I had to put a score on it, I'd probably say 35-31. to 31. Um, I'm not going to diss the Bengals anymore. The Chiefs are going to win. I agree with you. Probably not 7.5 points, but I'll say by 7. I'll be a little different than you. 35-28. And uh, I, I also have to say... Another thing that uh, that gives me a little more confidence is that Tyron Matthew hasn't been playing recently, and he was listed as a full participant in practice on Thursday. Um, actually, the Chiefs' entire practice report, other than Daryl Williams, has full participant on it. So 
they'll be at full strength. Uh, no, they won't be missing anybody. Uh, and look, Daryl Williams is good, but uh, I, I'm sure they're just fine having Clyde edwards Lair back, who wasn't even playing at the start of the postseason. All right, well, let's move our attention to the NFC Championship game. The San Francisco 49ers attempt to win three games against the Rams this year in the uh, at, at SoFi Stadium in the NFC Championship. Um, I think this game, kind of like the Bucks game with the Rams, could just come down to who's healthy on the offensive line. Um, and I think it's really, really hard to actually tell at this point who is because Trent Williams has said multiple times, I am playing in this game and I will not be held out of this game. And yet he hasn't practiced all week. Um, Jeff Wilson hasn't practiced all week. Ambry Thomas is going to be coming back because he was a full participant in practice on Thursday. Uh, Nick Bosa also, same thing there. Um, and Elijah Mitchell was limited, but uh, honestly, I don't think, well, it could be a big deal because of the fact that Jeff Wilson still hasn't practiced in a while. So the Niners could be down to some thin running back ranks. But honestly, there's just something about the Niners that they always tend to beat the Rams. And I don't exactly know what it is other than the fact that they have the same style, but they just have better line play almost every time. And I feel like if Andrew Whitworth doesn't play, which it's trending towards that he might, but Joe Noteboom isn't. And if Whitworth isn't playing, the Rams are going to be a mess on the offensive line. And uh, I think, I think actually Kyle Shanahan said it, that these are probably the two best defensive fronts in the league. It's kind of the opposite in the AFC, where in the AFC, you could argue you have the two best quarterbacks. Probably was last week's matchup, to be quite honest. Probably Allen and Mahomes. But um, you have two of the top three quarterbacks, we could maybe say, you know, I mean, you can argue, obviously Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady are up there too, but I think Joe Burrow's there too also. At least two top five quarterbacks playing each other. And then in this game, you could argue about it, but you at least have the best defensive front in the Ram- that being the Rams, and definitely one that's up there with them, the 49ers with Eric Armstead and Nick Bosa and really everybody else that's on that that that's on that defensive line. Uh, I honestly, I got to pick the Niners. I think I would love to pick the Rams, and I would love to be right while picking my favorite team. But maybe I might be hedging my bets. I don't know. I won't go out. I won't go out and say that uh, on the record. I might have said it off the record multiple times this week. But. Uh, and I might be trying to jinx the Niners because last week I was so wrong in every single prediction other than the Chiefs getting a miracle that I think that uh, I have the power of the commentator curse now and I can jinx teams. So I might be using that to my advantage. Maybe. I'm not, I'm not stating for sure. But I might be using that to my advantage to uh, maybe will the 49ers to losing by picking them. Uh, but I'll take one and one this week if they lose. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, well, I say the third time's the charm. I say there's no way Andrew Whitworth doesn't play with uh, being a full participant. Uh, in practice on Thursday with one chance to gut it out and get to a Super Bowl. Um, and um, I'm gonna, it worked so well for me last weekend picking both home teams that I'm going to pick both home teams to win. You and didn't win a single game last week other than the that, Chiefs. I was being sarcastic. Oh, well, I <laughs> think... I went one and three. So uh, I'm hoping to even out that record and get to three and three for the past two weeks. Well, you know, when we agree, everything always goes wrong. And when we when we disagree... I always tend to be more correct. So I'm now really worried because now you've picked, if I'm more correct, that means the Niners are going to win. And now I'm mad about that. But uh, we'll figure it out by Sunday. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. But yes. officially, I'm trying to jinx the Niners. So exactly. I'll just put, put them down. Exactly. Them down. I know you're hedging. You, you learned well from me. Yeah. Exactly. Pick, you'd be much, you're much happier if you pick wrong and the Rams win. Uh, you'll gladly take the, 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 the bus to your ego and game picking expertise. 
All right. Uh, well, that wraps up our look back at NFL football for the weekend. We will talk about those results in our next podcast as this wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. That next podcast will be on Monday, January 24th, where in addition to looking back at the NFL championship games, we will see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions and have a look back at the week of NBA action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his weekend predictions that were posted on Thursday and an updated NCAA tournament bracket, which is posted on Saturdays. All that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.